Neil, there's something I'd like to do, if you don't mind. I cleared it with Deke. After all the grief that Frank and the others got for reading from Genesis. And I can't be specific, but something I want to do. Houston, Tranquility, over. Tranquility, Houston, go ahead. Roger, this is the LEM pilot. I'd like to take this opportunity to ask every person listening in, whoever or wherever they may be, to pause a moment and contemplate the events of the past few hours. And to give thanks in his or her own way. Fifty-five years ago this July, that happened. Between landing on the moon and before Neil Armstrong ever took his first steps and said, this is a step for mankind, Buzz Aldrin chose to mark the moment, deferring, hopefully respectfully, to Neil's interests, to mark the moment with the only thing that he felt like could adequately take stock of what they were about to do and to enclose it in a sense of great thanksgiving and humility to partake of the body and blood of Christ. We're going to do that soon. And it's possible that in as much as we do this twice a month, it's possible that every time you come forward, you kind of look at it kind of like Neil Armstrong's looking to Buzz Aldrin, they're going, what are, what are, what are you doing? And we're asking ourselves, well, what are we doing? You are parts of families, and all of your families have certain traditions. And sometimes you just do them because we do them, but you really never know why. And until somebody can kind of fill you in on the story behind it, you, you are kind of at a distance from understanding or grasping the significance about what you're doing. It's the same way with coming to the table. And we want to take a few moments to consider what's going on. Not only to understand it, but to grasp it. And, and, but, to, but to know this, it's not all about, do I get it? It's not all on you. We, that's why we've been spending nine months thinking about the Holy Spirit. We want to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit up to in the midst of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? Last week it was baptism. This week it's the Lord's Supper. And as we said last week, the Spirit's primary job is this. What Jesus accomplished in history, the Spirit seeks to apply to our heart. 
the realities that are attendant to what Jesus has done live like facts on a shelf in a filing cabinet until the Spirit helps to bring those vivid and radioactive and at work and sensed. That's why we come to the table. So we're going to consider it under three heads. We're going to consider sort of a long passage with parts of it from what Paul has to say about it in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. But by the end, we're going to ask three questions, or one question with three answers. What is the Spirit up to in the, in the supper? To feed us, whatever that means. To restore something to us, but also, and maybe most importantly, to heal something among us. To feed us, to restore something to us, and to heal something among us. We're going to start in chapter 10. We'll get all the way to the end of 11, but we'll skip around as we go. So I wonder if you might stand for a reading. First Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you. But the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we not, may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
You may be seated. Who's intimidated? Maybe I won't. Maybe, maybe we won't. Maybe we shouldn't. What's going on? What's at work here in the supper? Maybe it's more than I bargained for. Maybe I've thought of it less than I should. What does it mean that the Spirit is out here? The Lord's Supper was instituted by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. And it is summarized by what you just heard there from Paul, which should sound familiar because it's what I try to recite every time I do what's called the words of administration to prepare us all for the supper that is itself. But as you heard there in 1 Corinthians 10, when Paul thinks of this table, he thinks of a much larger story in which it finds its meaning. There's a greater context. It might have been established by Jesus, but Jesus is part of a longer story, as is this table. And it is a part of that story which Paul invokes, the part that involves mainly Moses. Israel, it says, was in the cloud and was rescued by the sea. They were led by the presence of God in a cloud of fire. They were rescued through the sea. Just like that. Actual pictures. No. <laughs> See his mighty right hand, right? Um, last week we talked about we were baptized into Moses, which is a kind of a funny way of putting it. What does that mean? Moses or Moses? No. It means that you're bound up with him. Israel, in following Moses, was bound up with him, stuck on him. His way, his will, his destiny became theirs. In that sense, they are bound up with him. They are baptized into him. They become part of his family, and they didn't choose it. This chosen people, this people did not choose him. They were baptized into him. They were bound up with him. It was their beginning. And that, from the language that Paul uses there in the first four verses of chapter 10, he's hinting at what's coming. He's hinting at what the table is out to produce in us. And there he says, of Israel, with the cloud and with the fire and with the sea, they ate and drank spiritual food. They ate spiritual food. They drank spiritual drink. And that one sentence could be one sermon. All I want to say about it is now is that what does he mean by it being spiritual food? Because the food they got was manna from heaven and they needed it for their bodies. They were hungry. No food, you die in the wilderness. The water, for obvious reasons, no water, you thirst, you dehydrate, you die. Very physical stuff, necessary stuff, essential stuff. In what sense is it spiritual? Because it's from the spirit. Spirit's the waiter. Spirit's the dispenser. The Spirit is bringing to them the food they needed for their good. That was then. That's their physical good. That's what the Spirit was doing in the moment. For Paul to invoke it here in anticipating to speak more about the table that we will partake of if you are a believer in him is this. It is from the Spirit. It is for your good. It is from the Spirit, capital S, for your spirit, lowercase s. Let me pack that open a little bit. What does that mean? You are many things. You are atoms. 
you are molecules, you are compounds, you are cells, you are tissues, you are organs, you are systems. You are mind and body, no less. But you are more than that. You are more than mind and body and all those things that are wondrous and layered and complicated and can bring things that are a wonderful good and can misfire in profound ways. You are all of that, but you are more. You are also spirit. You are also hiddenness and mystery. You are more than your memories. You are more than your experiences. You are more than even your own story that is worth tapping into to understand yourself. You are more than what can be measured. You are more than can what be scanned. You are more than body and bones and blood. And you are more than just what you are inhabit in your body. You will prevail because you are spirit. Even with your body goes ashes to ashes, dust to dust. This food is for that in you. The manna, the water for their physical bodies. The bread, the cup for your spirit. The spirit is out to feed you. And I, I say only by way of, of application or implication. What attention have you given to that truth and aspect of you this week apart from this moment? Life, living, work, yard, not really yard right now, kids, stuff, worries, older parents, infants, that has demanded a lot of you, no doubt. And that's required your attention properly. And that's holy. Martin Luther said, changing diapers is as holy as anything that you might do in a gathering of worship. Amen? But you are more than all those physical things. You are more than just about broadening your mind. You are more than padding your resume. You are more than getting promotions. You are more than taking care of your body. Uh, there's someone I follow on Twitter. Her name is Going. She goes by the handle Going Godward, and she's a, she's a mom. She's a Bible teacher. She lives in Appalachia. She, she said this, uh, there's so much on my timeline about physical fitness, so little about spiritual fitness, so many tools and methods for staying in shape physically, so few tools for staying in shape spiritually. Why? Are we so obsessed with material existence that we fail to remember that we're supposed to work out and exercise our salvation with fear and trembling? And then she quotes this hillbilly Thomist's band that says, uh, you can run five miles and take vitamins, but you will still walk down the line. We answer to eternity. God is the one with whom we'll have to do. Important. Physical, vigorous exercise is of some value. Paul says it to Timothy. Don't neglect your body. It's of some value. So is your spirit. And the Spirit has come to nourish you in that sense. Have you this week attended to that at all? Or is this it? Or is it all resting on this moment? It's fine. It is for this. This moment is for that. It's a long week. And we all need attention to that. The Spirit is out to feed us. It's also, by feeding us, my last two points are to say, well, tease that out. Unpack that. What does he mean by feeding us? I'll tell you. Between verses 4 and 14, which we did not have time to attend to, it talks about Israel's temptations in the wilderness. 
what they faced, namely, specifically about where they were going to find their refuge. And there were plenty of offers of other gods, other deities. They make a golden calf. Remember that whole incident? Ooh. Finding something in which to find a refuge. Finding something that they could cling to that they would say, this is where I can place my trust. And they, they faced it. And, and the, the question there in that moment is, what shall I find my rest in? Where do I find my resolve? And that's why in verse 14, where we pick it up here in chapter 10, he says, therefore, brethren, flee from idolatry. Now, I say that word in polite company, in mixed company, idolatry, they all go, <laughs> that's sort of a, 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 a throwback, a really throwback, right? And in the days that Paul is speaking, no doubt, you had all sorts of foreign deities and carved images that you could bow, to, bow down to and make sacrifices to and do all of that. There were deities. And so later in 1 Corinthians, he, he tried to, tries to address the, the church's questions. What if I go to a meal with people that aren't believers who they say they're offering me food that is sacrificed to this God or this idol? Do I eat? Do I not? Do I run? Do I say, oh gosh, look at the time. Oh, nosebleed. Let's leave. What do you do? And he addresses that. And that's for another sermon. But idolatry is real. And so you think, yeah, okay, fine. It was real for them, but not us. Oh, friends. <laughs> no, it was then, this is now. No. Idolatry is alive and well, and in this room, and in my heart, and in yours too. Because all it means, I mean, look, what is the very last line of 1 John? Brethren, be careful of idols. What is Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, you shall not covet which is itself idolatry. He doesn't talk about any particular God, any deity with a name or a shrine or a set of sacrifices. He's just talking about anything that you assign so much value to that you devote yourself so too much, so much, that it is practically a God to you. You will find your meaning, your happiness, your very sense of stability in that. And you largely don't even know that you're doing it at the time. You just think, this is a good thing. Look, there's all sorts of things that you're invested in today. Properly, people, aspirations, hobbies, devotions, that's what we call devotions. You give yourselves to them. And sometimes and oftentimes, those things stir something powerful in you. And that's okay. It makes sense. We're made to delight in things that are from his hand, but we are never to turn them into a substitute for him. We are never to find our ultimate refuge in them. Idolatry is as alive and well now and in this room and in my heart as anything that Paul is addressing there in 1 Corinthians 10, 2,000 years ago. He is out to restore something to us. We don't know how we are allowing ourselves to be baptized into whatever that thing is that we think is so important. We are binding ourselves to it. We are, here's, here's a word that maybe is more familiar and maybe more accessible to us. He is warning against us finding our deepest belonging in anything but the Lord. Our deepest belonging. And that's why he worries in verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Two times, it's the word participation. 
The actual word there in the Greek is a word you've probably heard before. It's the word koinonia. You go down to North Georgia, there was a, uh, a community that Vernon Jordan started of multiple races, multiple ethnicities, all coming together in Jesus, which set people off. You don't mix those things together in this world. Yeah, you do, because Jesus is at the center of it. That's koinonia. It was koinonia community. It's translated participation here because he is saying literally, in this table, we have fellowship with God. We are binding ourselves to the Lord. We are finding our deepest belonging in him. Here, um, look, I'm a Star Wars geek. A lot of you are too. Walk proud. But there is a moment that I think really captures what Paul is out to say here. He's out to restore to us the nature of our belonging. What happens? Ray in The Force Awakens, she's going to like, uh, sort of a wispy sort of background. Where is she from? What's she about? What's her story, right? And she wants to know herself. She's lost her parents. I have a memory of them flying off into the sky. Who is that? You don't want to know, but there it is. Later on down the road, who does she find? She finds Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, right? And then who does she meet up with? Maz Kanata. We once had a bearded dragon named Maz Kanata. It did not make the transition from Texas to North Carolina very well, though. <laughs> Maz Kanata says this to her when she finds the spirit. When she, when she finds the spirit. When she finds the lightsaber. I want to get it right. I want to say it to her. The belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. The belonging you seek is not behind you. It is ahead. It is ahead. She is dwelling in her past. And Maz is there to tell her there is something that is true and even truer than the belonging that you are trying to find to piece together. Do the genealogy if you will. There's a greater belonging to which you must give greater attention. Friends, that is what the table is here to do for you by the Spirit. To restore to you who your deepest belonging is. There's all sorts of things that you have a proper respect for and homage for in your pedigree, in your history, in your experiences, in your accomplishments, where you're from, whatever the case may be. And that sense of belonging is real and it's good. And I'm just saying, it is preparatory. Preparatory for hearing this. Because of what he's done for you, you belong most to him. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. And this table by the Spirit is out to restore that sense of identity to you as often as you will in remembrance of him. Peter, the Apostle Peter, Paul's buddy. On the night Jesus is betrayed, Peter treats Jesus like he never even knew him. Like he's some joke some religious figure that's in the wrong place at the wrong time. I deny him. Jesus says, I know that's coming. And I'm praying for you because you're about to be sifted by Satan, Peter. But when you turn back, strengthen your brethren. What does he mean by that? He knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to fall hard. He knew he was going to deny him by his life and with his words. He prayed for him anyway because he's that kind of Jesus. Because he's saying to Peter, you belong to me. And you will never be not belonging to me. Such that when he finally restores him to himself there in John chapter 21. You love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? 
this table is out to restore to you your deepest sense of who you belong to. That's what it's for. And it is not on you to kind of figure that out. It is not all resting upon your ability to conceptualize that. To, to my friends of other faith traditions who say, the goodness of this table is that you remember certain things and that has its own effect on you. Yes, oh, but much more. If it's, if it's only that, I... It's like you've strapped this burden on my back and I've got, to like, I've got to really grapple with it and I've got to do everything I can to get drain the most out of it and it's like, I can't do that. Good, I know, that's why the Spirit's involved. He's there to nourish us. He's there to restore our sense of belonging to us. But I would like to say, I mean, we, look, we could stop there and that'd be enough. But you know what that would be? It would be a very Western way of looking at the table. And by that, I mean a very individualistic way of looking at the table. It's all about me and him. Hmm. I'd like to suggest that where Paul goes here, it's actually even deeper and broader and more important and the part that you and I don't like to think about. Because in as much as we call this the book of 1 Corinthians, it's not a book, it's a letter. And it's a letter that is addressed to a very particular set of circumstances. And you kind of picked up on that because he's kind of got some really fierce words and I want to kind of set up this little complicated part here on my last point by showing you a clip from Remember the Titans, which happens to be involving a meal and about bringing communities of different stripes together. I want you to tell me something about one of your black teammates. Sir, I eat lunch with Rev. That's Jerry Harris, sir. So what kind of music does the Rev like? Oh, me and Rev both dig on the temptations. Oh, yeah? I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I got to pray, please, for your sympathy, I don't mind, because you mean that much to me. Ain't you proud to beg? Okay, all right. <laughs> Stop begging. Anybody else? No volunteers? Campbell? Bertia? No, huh? Each one of you will spend time every day with a teammate of a different race. You will learn about him and his family, his likes, his dislikes. You will report back to me until you meet every one of your teammates. Until that time, we go to three-a-day practices. You continue to ignore each other, we'll go to four-day practices. All right, man, listen. I'm Gary. You're Julius. Let's get some particulars and just get this over with, all right? Particulars? Yeah. No matter what I tell you, you ain't gonna never know nothing about hey, me. Hey, listen. I ain't running any more of these three days, okay? Well, what I got to say, you really don't want to hear, because honesty ain't too high up on your people priority list, right? Honesty? You want honesty? All right, honestly, I think you're nothing. Nothing but a pure waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, man. Not even Doc or Boone. Shiver push on the line every time, man. You blow right past them. Push them, pull them, do something. You can't run over everybody in this league. And every time you do, you leave one of your teammates hanging out to dry. Me in particular. Why should I give a hoot about you? Huh? Or anybody else out there? You want to talk about a waste? You the captain, right? Right. 
Captain's supposed to be the leader, right? Right. You got a job? I have a You've job. You've been doing your job? I've been doing my job. Then why don't you tell your white buddies to block for Rev better? Because they have not blocked for him or for Plug Nickel, and you know it. Nobody plays, yourself included. I'm supposed to wear myself out for the team? What team? No. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look out for myself, and I'm going to get mine. See, man. That's the worst attitude I ever heard. Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Thrown together of different stripes for the same purpose, and like every other group and institution you've ever been a part of, you might say that gelling is hard. And there over a meal, Denzel, who stands in in my illustration for the Holy Spirit, is here to heal something, is here to unite something, is here to strengthen something. They were a team in name only. Something had to change for them to become what they are, what they are supposed to be. Oh, friends. Why is Paul so up in the Corinthians' face? Here's where you need a little context. There was no building like this when they met. We didn't have this kind of space. They met in homes. Churches met in homes. And in the architecture of homes, you had this place where you ate called the triclinium. It had a certain amount of space in it. And then outside the triclinium where, other, where you kind of gathered and did other stuff, it was called the atrium. Paul has a problem with what's happening in the churches that meet in homes. They are guilty of two errors. There are some who maybe own the homes who have a lot. And when they hear the word supper, they think, awesome, we are going to throw a feast. We're going to bring out the couscous. We're going to bring out the Shirah from 4 AD. And people are going to ask, when did we reset the counter? Four? What are you talking about? Um, it, it's going to be, a, we're going to live large. We're going to eat well. And they do. They dine like nuts and they get wasted. The wine? Awesome. No. You don't understand what this meal is about. It's not about feeding your belly. There is something more to you that will last when your belly is dust. I've come for that. That's what this meal is for, air number one. And when air number one comes into place, you can tell where air number two is going to go because there were those in those communities that had a lot. They could put out a whole spread, but they didn't seem to care about those who had nothing. It's my house, my circle. They come here. They get here early. They join in the triclinium. The rest of you, I don't really know you, and I really don't care about knowing you. You can stand out in the atrium, and if you miss out on the spread here, sorry, you lose out. And so now two tiers, two classes are starting to harden within every house church. Those who have a lot and those who have nothing, those who come early, those who show up late. And Paul is saying, what are you doing? This table is for one people. It is one bread. It is one body. And you're missing it. Whatever this supper is that you're eating, it's not the Lord's Supper. Because whatever you're doing is not for your spirit, lowercase s, and whatever you're doing it is not for the body. 
You're turning yourselves into little classes of people who have no regard for everybody. Now you listen to that and you go, that's great. What a terrible experience they were having. I'm sorry. Not our problem, right? Um, one, uh, none of you are confusing this with what you might get at Grove Park for breakfast. Like it's not going to feed your belly like that. We have not put out a spread like that because we know what this is for. That's not really an issue. And I would say, I don't think I've ever seen, even in my short seven years here, anybody push and shove to get up front and go, ha ha, sucker, I got mine first. <laughs> ha ha. No, you don't, you don't do it. Right. My son is laughing at me right now. Um, loser. <laughs> See if I care. So why is this your problem? The specifics are not your problem, but I will tell you something that is. Your culture, your patterns, your mindset, your way of thinking can forget you are one body. The way we live, where we work, the choices we make about what to do with our time, free and otherwise, the investments we make in all sorts of things, some of things are good, but if this is a family, hmm, where we are potentially guilty of the kinds of principles that Paul is up in their face about is this. You can be here, and you can be nice, and you can be pleasant. You can even tithe, but you couldn't care less about each other. It's possible. You can be indifferent to one another. You can choose to isolate yourself from one another. You can quietly maybe consciously, but maybe unconsciously, have some unacknowledged judgment of somebody that is very different from you. Or you can sustain, you can have a sustained grievance, if not contempt, for somebody in this room who is part of this body, this family. Friends, this table is out to heal something among us. And the Spirit is out to say to you, are you sure you know that you're in a body? When he says, do this in remembrance of me, he is asking you to recall his story, but at the same time, he's out to recall his story in order to recover something true about you, that he has a claim on you like no one has a claim on you. And at the same time, you're out to recover your sense of identity to him, you're also out to recover your sense of identity to one another. And I think you could boil down the entirety of this teaching in 10 and 11 to one idea. The cross-shaped life that Jesus has for you and is living and dying is meant to produce in you a similar cross-shaped life for one another. And if you don't get that for one another, I would like to be so bold as to say you don't get that with him. You don't understand that. He was poured out as a drink offering for you. Why? So that you might replicate that very life in this people. I read an essay last week. It was pretty pointed. A guy named Jeff Reimer called How Not to Be a Schismatic. And he says this. Seeking a church that is free of all the things that one finds troubling is a futile endeavor. I'm not saying heresy or abuse ought to be tolerated or that we should do nothing to prevent them or root them out. I'm saying that any church that is a mixed up in the mess and the carnage of human existence is going to be, well, mixed up in the mess and the carnage of human existence. 
in the, the terms, if the terms of your commitment to and participation in the church demand the absence of those failures, then what you'll be left with is yourself, a church of one, alone and still unhappy. Look, I know that there are people in this room who have been burned by people in the church, by leadership in the church, and I have sympathy for that, and I understand it, and I, I get it. I, I, I don't, I don't, this is not a, this is not me unwittingly kind of like, shame on you. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that every choice that you make is a trade-off. If you choose never to engage and to always be on the periphery because you've been so hurt, a, a feeling I can entirely understand, the trade-off you're making is this. I am choosing not to be hurt, but now what I'm giving up is all of the provision and offering of what a people can be for you. In the same way that if you open yourself up to community to receive that provision, the privilege of people who remind you of who you are and whose you are and what you're to be, at the same time you're opening yourself up to risk of being harmed. I get it. And I'm only inviting you to do your own little cost-benefit analysis. Paul is calling us to be one body. And the Spirit is out to heal something among us, even today. If there is something broken between somebody and you in this room, leave your gift there at the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Those warnings about what can happen when you drink and eat unworthily, I don't know all that he means. I'm sobered. And all I can say is, I have to take this more seriously than perhaps the idea that this is sort of a ritual that just brings ideas to mind. What's the application? He says, we have to examine ourselves. It doesn't mean I can only come if I haven't sinned this week. It'll be a short meal. In fact, we can put this stuff up, Molly. It's not that. To examine yourself is not to measure yourself and then whether you pass fail. It is to inventory for yourself. Have I tried to find my belonging, my deepest belonging in something that is not of him? Have I looked for an idol that I did not, <laughs> have I given myself to something that can only be compared to an idol? Have I lost my sense of identity, him, identification with him and his identification with us? Have I forgotten that when I belong to him, I belong to us. And therefore, to keep us at a distance forever? This is what this table is for. I want to pray, and then I want us to hear a song, and then we will come and eat. But I want to pray sort of as in a call and response. I want to ask the Spirit's blessing on any number of things. And every, after every prayer I offer, I would like you to say, for we are one body. I will ask the Spirit's blessing, and after each one, for we are one body. Can you handle that? Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on the students and children of this people, for we are one body. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on those who lead and serve this church, mostly and mainly among those whose faces are largely unseen, but whose skill and devotion are no less. 
Spirit of the living God, fall on fresh those who teach our adults, our youth, and our children. We are one body. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on our parishes and those who seek to bind them together, for we are one body. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on the Isingomas in Ankeser in Uganda, on the Helms in England, on the Jones in Chile as they report back soon. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on Pastor Yobani and the team here going to Honduras soon, for we are one body. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on those who this day grieve, for we are one body. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on those who care for the infirm, for we are one body. Spirit of the living God, those fall afresh on those who create. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on those who are considering membership. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on our sister churches in Hendersonville and Brevard and in Tryon. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on all churches of various traditions that are spread across the world, all speaking your name. These are our prayers, sir, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Would you help us to find our satisfaction in you? Amen.